1: members get early access to most videos and get to participate in monthly zoom hangouts with mike here's the biggest stories we talked about this week on the humanist report enjoy the show
0: so we're now learning more about tucker carlson's firing from fox news thanks to a new report published in the new york times and it most likely all came down to a single text message at least that's what started the beginning of the end for Tucker Carlson. So the text message in question, which we'll look at in a moment here, was sent to a producer on January 7th of 2021, just one day after the Capitol insurrection. And that text message was, uh, let's just say, problematic to say the least, according to the board of Fox News. As the New York Times explains, a text message sent by Tucker Carlson that set off a panic at the highest levels of Fox on the eve of its billion-dollar defamation trial showed its most popular host sharing his private inflammatory views about violence and race. The discovery of the message contributed to a chain of events that ultimately led to Mr. Carlson's firing. The text message added to a growing number of internal issues involving Mr carlson that led the company's leadership to conclude he was more of a problem than an asset and had to go according to several people with knowledge of the decision now we'll look at the text here in a moment but that reportedly set off alarm at fox news with their board of directors because they were worried that that text would become public at the dominion trial so ultimately the dominion lawsuit ended up leading to Tucker Carlson's undoing. Now, the Times also reports that a day after discovering that text message, Fox News' board hired outside legal counsel to further investigate Tucker Carlson's conduct because they were that rattled by it. But without further ado, here's the text message that ultimately led to his demise. Quote, a couple of weeks ago, I was watching a video of people fighting on the street in Washington. A group of Trump guys surrounded an Antifa kid and started pounding the living shit out of him. It was three against one at least. Jumping a guy like that is dishonorable, obviously. It's not how white men fight. Yet, suddenly, I found myself rooting for the mob against the man, hoping they'd hit him harder, kill him. I really wanted them to hurt the kid. I could taste it. Now, he goes on to explain here that he stopped himself from psychopathically rooting for another human being's death because that made him just as bad as the Antifa kid, apparently. So, yeah, to put it mildly, that is a very... Yikes take from Tucker Carlson. White men don't fight dirty. But I mean, are you sure about that, Tucker Carlson? Because Benjamin Dixon shared Tucker Carlson's quote with this photo of a bunch of white people smiling in amusement at two black men who were lynched. White men don't fight like that my ass. But I mean, sanitizing the history of white violence against black people is a core component of white supremacy. But I mean, just personally speaking, seeing that quote from Tucker Carlson didn't surprise me at all. But apparently Fox News's board of directors saw that and uh, this was the look on their faces. Oh my God, could it be that our beloved Tucker Carlson is a white supremacist? <laughs> this text is just so out of character. I mean, <laughs> it's honestly just shocking that that tweet rattled them so much, given every single thing that Tucker Carlson has said on national television for years that they've paid him to say, mind you. And I've talked about it quite a bit on this program. But in case you missed it, here's a compilation put together by Media Matters and Mehdi Hassan Show demonstrating how anyone who's been paying attention should not be surprised by that text from Tucker Carlson.
2: They're trying to change the population of the United States and they hate it when you say that because it's true, but that's exactly what they're doing. Is anyone pushing back at all? I have less political power because they're importing a brand new electorate. Why should I sit back and take that? How much longer do you think Americans will put up with this? How long before Americans start to take border enforcement into their own hands? We have absolutely the right to know. We should demand to know now every time they import a new voter i become disenfranchised as a Mm. current voter no they're not allowed to do that why are we putting up with this most people go along with this absurd standard they dutifully shut up they don't think they have a choice you wonder how much longer they imagine americans are going to go along with this it can't go on forever but you can see why they're trying it Demographic change is the key to the Democratic Party's political ambitions. Our leaders have no right to encourage foreigners to move to this country in order to change election results. Abrupt change causes social chaos, always. What will the consequences of that change, of that revolution be? In your bones, you know the answer. It's terrifying. And it doesn't have to happen. You cannot overstate the scale of demographic change underway right now in the United States. It's a direct assault on our democracy. They don't even really care about your vote anymore. Their goal is to make you irrelevant. You're just an American citizen, shut up and obey. They know that calling you a racist is the fastest way to make you obey. In other words, you're being replaced and there's nothing you can do about it. So shut up. (laughs) If you don't obey them, they denounce you as a racist. Why do they do this? They do it because it works. But here's the thing, it can only work if you play along with it, and we don't plan to. White supremacy, that's the problem. This is a hoax. There's no evidence that white supremacists were responsible for what happened on January 6th. That's a lie. We have a moral obligation to admit the world's poor, they tell us, even if it makes our own country poorer and dirtier and more divided. Demographics. Demographic. demographic demographics. 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 Remember the Great Replacement Theory? Was it conspiracy theory? It sounds more like a statistical fact. Ilhan Omar is living proof that the way we practice immigration has become dangerous to this country. Congresswoman Ilhan Omar, herself a symbol of America's failed immigration system. Can a single human being actually be as loathsome as Ilhan Omar is? It's hard to believe Diddy Montel Williams, you know, is something that's within her range of experience. Is she good at it? We can't say, she's, but she's done it. Just for masochistic reasons, can you do one more time? <laughs> So it might be time for Joe Biden to let us know what Kantaji Brown Jackson's LSAT score was. What else are you doing in the LSATs? They think that you should be elevated in America based on what you do, on the choices you make, not on how you're born, not in your DNA, because that's Rwanda, 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 Rwanda. Rwanda. We're still not precisely sure how George Floyd died. Very few unarmed black men are killed by white cops these days. Where's George Floyd when you need him? The only job training program this administration has gotten behind in two and a half years is getting black people to sell more weed in the cities. You never see politicians transition to say, Malcolm X, why is that? Maybe because Malcolm X didn't talk like a sharecropper, xenophobia. It seems almost antique. This show, more than any other show on television, has taken an aggressive position in favor of colorblind equality and against racism.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, believe it or not, there are still people who defend Tucker Carlson and maintain that he is not a white supremacist. He's not racist, he just cares about changing demographics and white people being replaced, ooh-ooh. It's just deeply unserious to say that this man is anything but a raging racist. And after years of that, after years of what we just watched, Fox News' board of directors was shocked to learn that, um, yeah, maybe this text indicates that he is indeed racist. And to be clear, it's not like Tucker Carlson was a multidimensional individual. White supremacy wasn't just like one small aspect about his entire personality. That was his brand. And Fox News executives, they knew this. I'm sorry, they don't get to just play dumb here. They were probably uncomfortable that he began to say the quiet part loud more frequently, but because he was bringing in a lot of eyeballs to Fox News, they decided to just not act until it started to affect their business. So, let me be very clear here. I'm being facetious when I make fun of them for being clueless about Tucker Carlson. They knew, and keeping Tucker Carlson on was a business decision. Point blank, period. They knew he was pumping racist rage bait into the brains of boomers every single night for years, and they allowed it to continue. And you're probably thinking, well, it'd be nice to see the entire fucking organization collapse, but the problem is that... There's a demand for white supremacy in this country, and so long as that demand exists, there's going to be an organization or institution that pops up and takes the place of Fox News. Since Tucker Carlson's firing, by the way, Newsmax's ratings have surged, and they've even added a five-person panel show just like Fox News. In other words, we'll basically be playing white supremacist whack-a-mole with right-wing media outlets in perpetuity because white supremacy unfortunately is deeply embedded in american society and white rage simply isn't going to just dissipate with time if somebody isn't feeding that to them if fox news or tucker carlson goes away um that would be good right i'm very happy that fox news fired tucker carlson to be clear and i genuinely believe that him being fired is good for american democracy but like if fox news just goes away and Tucker Carlson's career is over, white supremacy isn't going to go away as well. White supremacy isn't going to die with Tucker Carlson's career or Fox News, unfortunately. It is an ongoing battle that our country has to deal with. And the problem persists because America has never actually grappled with white supremacy. There are people who talk about it, sure, but there hasn't been policy steps taken to actually detach white supremacy from our institutions and our culture and because of that you know it's going to remain unfortunately a feature not a bug of our system since it was built on white supremacy and that's really sad but at the end of the day i don't want to be like too doomer here the good thing is that tucker carlson was fired from fox news he lost the biggest platform in the country but to see the backlash that fox news faced after firing a pretty open white supremacist I think that that should be a wake-up call for people who weren't aware that this problem existed bill maher sat down for an interview with elon musk and he had the opportunity to actually ask one of the richest people on the planet some really important questions given how much influence and power elon musk has but expectedly that didn't happen and even though i don't think any of us expected a hard-hitting interview from bill maher i mean I thought that the bootlicking would at least be kept to a minimum, right? That he would contain himself, but that didn't happen. And he ended up deep throating Elon Musk's boot on national television. And if you think that I'm being hyperbolic, let's watch it.
3: There's a very few people who actually make change happen. You are one of those people. Well, you're a likable guy. I mean, Uh, mean, they they attack you a lot. They do. I love it that you have a sense of humor because a guy as important as you, who makes changes, could use your powers for evil and not good. The fact that- absolutely. You could.
4: (laughs) Of course, I would, yeah, never use them for evil. No, I know.
3: Let me get back to you being a genius. Geniuses are gonna be a little quirky sometimes, but your heart is always in the right place. You were trying to fix this world.
0: Jesus Christ, Bill, at least let him take you to dinner first. That was just, Embarrassing, but it's very on brand for Bill Maher, but as difficult as that was to watch it did provide us with some insight into Bill Maher and uh, you know, it's really evident that he looks up to Elon Musk because you can tell that he kind of sees himself in Elon Musk in the sense that Elon Musk, like him, is another individual who is incorrectly labeled as conservative when they didn't actually change their politics. You know, it remains the same. It's just that everyone else in society has changed. That's actually what Bill Maher said. It's a very narcissistic view to have. But I mean, you know, Bill Maher sees himself in Elon Musk and identifies with him specifically because of this misattributing of Political ideals to him. Bill Maher still maintains that he's not a conservative, even though he sounds identical to conservatives. But regardless, you know, he he hates that everyone else views him as a conservative. And he specifically doesn't like that people are lambasting him on Twitter for having bad, regressive, antiquated conservative takes. Now, since he was talking to the manager of Twitter, well, he wanted to ask him uh, whether or not there was anything that can be done about the mean girls on Twitter who grill him for his dumb fuck takes, and he certainly uh, did ask that very question.
3: See, here's why I don't tweet anymore because you may be the mayor of Tweet Town now. Yeah. And and I'm the mayor I, of Tweet and, Town.
4: We're getting a cap with yeah, that. Yeah, and I'm glad, <laughs> and I, I like it that the mayor likes yeah. my
3: jokes, but the reason I don't do it anymore is because the mob of mean girls is still there. And that, that sure. has not changed. Uh, no, like, I know. Like, it's too easy to get canceled. And I don't even know what pisses them off. They're so nuts, these kids. I feel like I'm walking on a roof with a blindfold. I could fall off any time. That was the most innocuous thing. But it's like, you know, I said George Washington was a great president. Oh, how
4: dare you? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I had some flaws, but
0: but, uh, uh, overall, uh, he was
4: instrumental in the creation of the United States.
0: Hey, Bill Maher, this shoe?
1: Am I so out of touch? No, it's the children who are wrong.
0: Corporate wants you to spot the difference between those two clips. They're the same clip. Look, that right there, that clip of Principal Skinner, that is Bill Maher in a nutshell. Rather than talking to people about their frustrations with him and areas of disagreement, he's choosing to stomp his feet and claim that everyone else is wrong and he's right. There's no way he can possibly be wrong. Bill, You live in a bubble and you're out of touch. See, I used to be a fan of you, but you're very clearly surrounded by yes men and you insulate yourself with people who agree with you. You're also insulated by your wealth as well. And this happens to people with a lot of money and a lot of power. Like if you never leave your ivory tower and converse with the common folk, you start to lose touch, you start to lose focus. And that's what happened to Bill Maher and he refuses to admit that he's the one who lost touch. So instead he says, everyone else has changed, not me. I mean again i said that this is narcissistic but like this is quintessential narcissistic behavior right here it's just it's so embarrassing that he would say this there's no level of introspection whatsoever now for a good portion of the interview they end up talking about the dumbest shit imaginable for example bill maher pretends as if elon musk has a phd in wokeism and asks him to define the woke mind virus as if he knows what that is himself but let's listen
3: first of all what is the woke mind virus and if we don't deal with this, nothing else can get done. Tell me why you think that. Yeah, so
4: um, I think we need to be very cautious about any, anything that is anti-meritocratic um, and anything that is uh, that, that results in the suppression of, of free speech.
0: First of all, it's so hilarious to me that Bill Maher is treating the woke mind virus as the most important issue of our time. It's not one of the most important issues. It is the most important issue of our time. More important than money and politics, capitalism, climate change. No, it's wokeism. That is the barrier to change because as we all know, our government institutions have been captured by the woke mind virus. And that's why there's so many problems in this country currently. That's leading to the institutional breakdown. You know, if it wasn't for the woke mind virus, then Roe v. Wade wouldn't have been overturned. Uh, You know, corruption in politics, legalized bribery wouldn't have become a thing. I mean, it's just an idiotic viewpoint. It's so dumb. But by Musk's definition, he would be woke because... His rise is antithetical to meritocracy, which he says being anti-meritocratic is one of the elements of being infected with the woke mind virus. He doesn't have a rags to riches story. He was born with a silver spoon in his mouth. He was born into wealth and his father owned an emerald mind. Second of all, if being woke also includes censorship, then Elon Musk has that in spades, considering that he censors people on Twitter all the time, including doing censorship at the behest of governments. For example, Twitter censoring critics of Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi and silencing critics who share a BBC documentary exposing his human rights abuses. So it turns out that Elon Musk, by his own standards, mind you, is infected with the woke mind virus. But Bill Maher is going to treat him as if he's some sort of an authority on this subject, as if this is a serious issue in the first place. And this next clip, they're going to basically whine more about how bad the woke mind virus is. And it's just like this shows that like Bill Maher is... Past the point of no return, he's too far gone. There's just no saving him. After you see how stupid this conversation is,
3: this uh, woke mind virus. How did it start? Was it bats? Was it a a (laughs) escape from a lab? I mean, what is your assessment of what? Because it's fairly recent. (laughs) Why did why? How did it start and why? I
4: was. So, I was trying to figure out where, where it's coming from. I think it's actually been a long time brewing um, in that it's, uh, I think it's been going on for a while. Um, it, 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 and um, the, the amount of indoctrination that, that's happening in schools and, and universities is, I think, far beyond what parents realize. Um, and I, I only, I sort of came to realize this some, some, somewhat late. Um, the, the, the experience that we had, uh, in, in, high school and college is not the experience that, that kids today are having, um, and, and hasn't been for, I don't know, 10, 10 years, maybe 20 years, so, uh... Aren't
3: parents themselves
4: also a big part of the problem? They... Well, I, I suppose in some cases that parents, but, but I think like the, parents are just generally not aware of what their, their kids are being taught, uh, or, or what they're not being taught. But um... They're, they're letting the kids think that they're well, equal. I mean, yeah, let me, let, me, let, me give, let me give you an example that, that a mine told me, which, uh, you know, his uh, daughters uh, go to college in, in, oh, sorry, go to high school in, in the Bay Area, um, and, um, and he, he was asking them, like, well, so who are the, you know, who are the first few presidents of the United States? Uh, the, the, they could name Washington, uh, but, and I said, well, what do you know about him? Well, he was a slave owner. What else? Right. Exactly. <laughs> Nothing. Right. I'm like, uh, okay, that's, maybe you should know more than that.
0: You
3: know? Yeah. Yeah. That, and that that is the woke mind virus. exactly. Yeah.
0: yeah. Incredible political commentary there from two geniuses. They did a fantastic job demonstrating just how important this issue really is. That right there. That's what the woke mind virus is, knowing that George Washington had slaves. This is the most important issue of our time. We have to address this before we tend to any other issues in society. Let me just remind you all, these are grown men we're talking about here, and they're having a conversation on national television about the dumbest fucking shit imaginable, and we're supposed to take them seriously? Unbelievable. Now, Elon Musk doesn't offer any meaningful commentary here because he's not very bright, but since he's right-wing and he's a right-wing culture warrior himself, he defaults to right-wing bullshit about school indoctrination or some nonsense like that. See, parents, they don't know that their children are being taught all of these things and they're being indoctrinated and the far left is trying to radicalize your kids and yada yada. And what bugs me the most is that they're treating this like it's a new phenomenon, which is incredibly ahistorical. First and foremost, the reason why Musk thinks this is new is because he's ignorant. Second of all, think about what happened during our history and the way that any massive social shift was framed by conservatives. Racist segregationists framed school integration as a far left takeover of schools and they fear-mongered about the danger that black people pose to kids in the same way that conservatives are now fear-mongering about the danger that LGBTQ plus people pose to children. So they're using the exact same playbook, but these two morons are saying, well, you know, this whole PC or woke thing is actually very new. No. It's not new. There's always been progress and pushback to said progress. There's always been social blowback to massive social change. The real mind virus here is right wing propaganda that both of these dipshits have fallen for hook, line and sinker. That is the issue here. But Bill Maher also says that the problem is that they're letting the kids think that they're equal. First and foremost, I thought that equality was the goal for liberals like Bill Maher. But yet you know he's not conservative he's still a liberal Mm -hmm. yeah sure now second of all the whole contention with crt i thought was this hyper focus on inequality and privilege and how that was tantamount to the oppression olympics and that's why it's bad but no they're telling the kids that they're equal i mean It doesn't even make sense. Maybe Bill Maher misspoke, but I feel like he should have his talking points down given how significant of an issue this is according to him, right? They're just, like, this is just two dipshits blabbing about the dumbest shit imaginable. That's all that this is here. We really don't have to ascribe any additional value to it, but I mean... They are both out of touch, they're conservative elites, and really what this is about is they're in their feelings because people online make fun of them and criticize them precisely for takes like this, bad takes, dumb takes. Now, they know that the woke mind virus isn't the biggest issue of our time, but the reason why they're attaching more value to it is because people criticizing them online It makes them feel victimized and they really want to be the victims right-wingers always try to portray themselves as the victims as they victimize everyone else in society and because these elitist pricks lead very privileged lives well they feel the need to make their perceived oppression their entire identities because that's kind of like the one thing i think that tethers them to the common folk and makes it seem as if they're not so different than us see you know there are people who struggle to pay the bills working a shitty job that they hate, where they're mistreated. But also, you know, rich people have problems, too. Bill Maher gets criticized online for saying dumb things. We all have problems. See, there's no class differences here. Look away. The real issue, according to these morons, isn't that elites like Elon Musk are exploiting his workers and hoarding wealth. It's the woke mind virus. Like, doesn't this feel like they're trying to distract you from the real problems that class divisions create? It feels that way because that's exactly what they're trying to do, wittingly or unwittingly. All of this is a distraction because they don't want you to know that rich people like them are robbing you blind, specifically Elon Musk. But of course, Bill Maher didn't take the time to ask him about that, ask him about the union busting and the exploitation and the abusive behavior. No, he instead decided to suck him off about how great he is because, um... He's being persecuted by the wokists online. These are not serious people, and only the dumbest people in society watch that conversation and think there was anything substantive said there because I watched all 20 minutes of it and it was extremely stupid. You could hear toddlers have a more substantive debate about politics than these two fucking idiots. so back in april of last year jack dorsey who created twitter endorsed elon musk's acquisition of the platform writing in april of 2022 quote in principle i don't believe anyone should own or run twitter it wants to be a public good at the protocol level not a company solving for the problem of it being a company however elon is the singular solution i trust i trust his mission to extend the light of consciousness Fast forward to today and Jack Dorsey is now backtracking because he acknowledges that Elon Musk has been a complete disaster for the platform that he created. CNN explains. Former Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey backtracked Saturday on his earlier endorsement of Elon Musk as the right choice to lead the company, speaking out against the billionaire who, for the past six months, has led Twitter through a series of largely self-inflicted crises. Asked on Bluesky, Dorsey's new Twitter-like social media venture, whether he believed Musk has been the best possible steward of Twitter, Dorsey said flatly, No. Dorsey added that Musk should have walked away from acquiring Twitter for $44 billion and faulted Twitter's board in hindsight for trying to compel Musk to follow through with the deal despite Musk's attempts to back out of the purchase last year. Quote, it all went south, Dorsey said, but it happened and all we can do now is build something to avoid that ever happening again so that is his polite way of saying yeah his takeover has been a complete fucking disaster and i was absolutely wrong about elon musk and i feel like what he said about elon musk just makes me believe that this man is a weirdo right he created a platform that is good i mean twitter even before elon musk has brought a lot of us lots of misery right but i mean he created something that without a doubt is used by a lot of people, and it has been, I think, good for democracy overall. It gave voices to people in authoritarian countries who wouldn't otherwise be able to get the word out. So, I mean, Twitter has been instrumental in elevating political discourse in a multitude of ways, even if it kind of feels on this smaller level that it brings us all down. But at the same time, like, to think that Elon Musk would extend the light of consciousness is just bizarre. Like, I, for one— I honestly didn't think that Elon Musk would be as big of a disaster as he is. My response to Elon Musk acquiring Twitter, if you go back and watch those videos was, yeah, I'd prefer that he didn't do that, but I mean, at the end of the day, I don't necessarily think that he would substantially change the way that the platform functions, because this is a businessman who wants to make money. So all this talk about free speech and all this bullshit, um, he is going to make some minimal changes, some tweaks around the edges, but largely keep things the same but I was wrong in the sense that it got worse. Like, to be this supposed warrior for free speech and we now see more censorship on the platform is not necessarily something that I expected. I just assumed that there would be less bans for right-wingers, less enforcement of hate speech policies, and there has been, but like, to the extent that he has turned the platform into a hellscape, especially for marginalized people, namely trans people, That's the understatement of the century, because he destroyed the fucking platform and it's basically parlor. That's what it is. Now, what's bizarre is that Elon Musk is still pretending to run Twitter in this altruistic, neutral way so as to promote the political viewpoints of everyone and encourage discussion. But that hasn't happened, and he's turned Twitter into a right wing hellscape specifically by fostering that kind of environment. Like, Twitter is the way that it is currently because of what he did who he interacts with. I mean, now verified users who are mostly conservatives or Elon Sims are promoted by the algorithm. So you'll see them more and their posts are not good, but that's what the algorithm is pushing. He also interacts almost exclusively with right wingers like Tim Pohl, Libs of TikTok, and he even pays for exclusive tweets for Libs of TikTok. This is a hate account that inspired a bomb threat against the Boston Children's Hospital over lies that they spread on that very platform. But Elon Musk, the owner of this platform, is paying for that person's tweets when they should be banned. He also purged leftist accounts. He censored posts at the behest of right wing governments, censors posts at the behest of literal Nazis trying to hide their calls for genocide. I talked about that last week. And in addition to all of that, the platform barely fucking functions. But yet in an interview with Bill Maher, he talked about his takeover of Twitter and he discussed it in a way that suggests that none of us saw what transpired over the last several months. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Let's watch.
4: You know, my my concern with Twitter was to that it it is somewhat of the digital town square and um, it's it's important that there be both the reality uh, and perception of of trust uh, for a wide range of viewpoints um, and uh, there was a lot of censorship going on, um, and we've, we we sort of uncovered a lot of that with uh, the Twitter files, including a lot of of government-driven censorship, which you know. It, it's it's I mean it, it seems that that's got to be a constitutional violation. What was going on there, but um, so so and I could, since I'm like an avid Twitter user, I could detect that like something's not right here, um, and so that's that's really why. Uh, at the acquisition. it wasn't wasn't because i thought this was an easy way to make money or something like that this is a man this is me being mayor of twitter town tweet town or whatever uh, is, <laughs> is, is 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 definitely like uh, there's a lot of arrows pointed at you like uh, flying yes, at you of you course
0: know? see what he said there is only persuasive one if you're naive and two if he didn't already purchase twitter and wasn't already running it into the ground. But as avid Twitter users currently criticize him for running the platform into the ground, rather than listening to their constructive criticism, he tries to portray himself as like some sort of a persecuted victim who's just trying to restore civility to the town square and lift up everyone's voices. But you can't say that because that's not what happened. You're not running Twitter in a neutral way and you're not promoting free speech. You are a censorious bastard and you're as bad as the previous Twitter regime was. This is what your own sims tell you. Barry Weiss even called you out for this. So anyone with the brain who uses Twitter can see that Elon Musk very clearly has been bad for the platform. I mean, how many people has he fired when he went there how many actual engineers who are needed for the platform to function stably has he let go because what they criticized him or something it's just it's ridiculous so i mean it's i'm glad that jack dorsey is finally acknowledging that this was a huge mistake but at the same time it shouldn't have taken him this long <laughs> but i mean i'm I'm glad welcome to the part to the party jack i'm glad that you see that elon musk is a complete fucking moron now Um, But with that being said, Jack Dorsey created another platform, and that is Blue Sky, and I'm on there, and a lot of other lefties are on there, and it's much, much better than Twitter. It's still not to the point where we can abandon Twitter for Blue Sky because it's in its beta phase, and there's a lot of missing functionality. But in terms of just like the environment there, that actually feels like a real town square. That actually feels like you can have conversations, engage with other people who might disagree with you, and... It's not going to get super ugly. It's not going to lead to somebody, you know, uh, harassing you. It's just it's a much better platform. I'm sure that as it grows, that will change as well. But one thing I can guarantee is that it's almost impossible for Blue Sky to be ran as poorly as Twitter with Elon Musk at the helm. So either way, it's just funny that Jack Dorsey went from trusting Elon Musk only with Twitter to now saying, oh, my God, yeah, he's been a disaster, too. Yeah. Yeah. He's been a complete fucking disaster. And it just shows you that just because you have money doesn't mean that you're smart and you're competent. So I don't think that I've ever landed on the same side of an issue as Candace Owens. I mean, maybe her and I agree that ice cream is delicious or something like that. But in terms of like political issues or issues with regard to social commentary, I don't think we've ever agreed. But I guess even a broken clock is right twice a day because specifically with regard to the Steven Crowder issue, Candace Owens is making a lot of sense. She's making some really good points. And she kind of has a right to be angry at Steven Crowder since he accused her of extortion, and she is. But despite whatever biases she already has, in this video that we're about to watch, she's going to make a really solid case for Steven Crowder's cancellation. And every single word she says here is correct which pains me to say because complimenting her is uh it just it makes me feel almost physically ill because she's wrong on like 99.9 percent of the issues but objectively speaking candace owens here is spot on and i think that what she specifically has to say about this issue is important because you've probably heard leftists like myself make the same argument that she's gonna make here But Steven Crowder's fans aren't going to listen to woke leftists like myself who've been trying to cancel Crowder for years uh, because, you know, we don't have the legitimacy in their eyes that Candace Owens has. But they might listen to a fellow conservative like Candace Owens. So that's why I think that her saying what she's saying here is important.
5: Well, again, going back to the pattern, it's not just The Daily Wire. It's David Landau. It's Sven the computer. It's Jared Monroe, formerly known as Not Gay Jared. People that are locked into NDAs and are not allowed to speak about the abuse that they endured by Steven Crowder. It's Owen Benjamin. It's now his wife. Do you believe that all of these various different parties, the majority of them who have never spoken to each other, I've never spoken to the- Computer. I've never spoken to David Landau. I've never spoken to Hillary Crowder. I've never spoken to Owen Benjamin. Do you believe that all of these people, as is the paranoid narrative that Stephen Crowder is presenting, are working maybe in in collusion with big tech to try to destroy him, or, or do you believe it's plausible that Stephen Crowder is just a monster? I personally believe that he is a monster, and that is, by the way, Stephen, if you're watching, I'm not trying to extort you. I am just simply telling the truth. There was a lot of things that are going on, and I am glad that his wife found the strength to speak out, and I am calling upon everybody to roundly condemn this, to to reject this firmly, not to somehow come up with an excuse and say, oh, well, it's a divorce, so we shouldn't talk about it. We should mind our own business. No, the way that we represent ourselves privately and publicly should be the the same. If you purport to care about family values again, then you should care about this situation, and you should condemn it.
0: I never thought that I'd say this, but um, Candace Owens is absolutely correct. I almost vomited saying it. (laughs) I'm being melodramatic, of course. No, what she said there is correct. I think it's common sense, honestly. And if you're unfamiliar with the people that she referenced in that video, like Dave Landau, Owen Benjamin, and Not Gay Jared, who currently can't speak because he's under an NDA, Uh, I will link you to the videos that I did about them. We went over their criticisms um, over the weekend, so you can watch that. I'm not going to rehash that now. But basically, long story short, his ex-employees are detailing his abusive behavior, detailing instances where Steven Crowder made them feel uncomfortable, do things that make them feel uncomfortable. And I think that what they say matters because they know Steven Crowder more than anyone. They know his behavior more than anyone, and they have nothing to gain by condemning Crowder and everything to lose by speaking out against somebody with a massive platform and a lot of clout in their circles. But as Candace Owens puts it, you know, what's more plausible here? Because he's trying to make it seem as if this is some sort of a coordinated smear campaign by big tech to shut him down. But like, think about this. Is it plausible that this is big tech trying to shut him down or woke leftists trying to cancel him or just that he's a shitty person. Like, what's more likely in this situation? And to have Candace Owens simplify the issue and put it bluntly like that, I hope it lands. I hope that some right-wingers are going to turn away from uh, from him. I'd love that they turn away from her as well. But I mean, sometimes if the trash takes out itself and you have fascists sniping at other fascists, then, you know, at the end of the day, I think that's a net good for society, but if you think that it's really just like this big tech campaign to censor Steven Crowder, you're probably just a Steven Crowder simp, and if you're not experiencing cognitive dissonance, you're either dumb or a shitty person yourself. Now on Twitter, Candace Owens talked about this a little bit more, and she responded to the abuse of his wife. By implying that conservatives should be consistent on this issue, writing, if this were Alec Baldwin, caught on camera, every person in conservative media would condemn this and play it on repeat. Telling your eight-month pregnant wife that you are going to quote fuck her up is the behavior of monsters. There's no justification, change my mind. Now she later added, lastly, as a rule, I do not believe that private recordings should be released. But for a man who quite literally released a private recording of his quote friend so he could scam people and to supporting his new platform, I'm going to have to applaud the cosmic justice of it all. Now, in case you don't know, that last paragraph was a reference to Crowder secretly recording a phone call that he had with The Daily Wire, I believe Jeremy Boring specifically, um, and he would eventually use that phone call against The Daily Wire after they insulted him because uh, they only offered him a $50 million contract. I mean, God, can you imagine only being offered $50 million over four years? How would anyone survive? Yeah, so I mean he little by little is exposing himself as a miserable piece of shit. Now, since the lines have kind of been drawn, you have some conservatives taking a side, Mike Cernovich being one of them, who's on Team Candace writing on Twitter, conservatives saying it's inappropriate to discuss Crowder's divorce. Yes, that is what his ex-wife's lawyers asked Crowder to do. Instead, he made a video blaming his soon-to-be ex-wife for the divorce and used an old Candace clip to create drama. Now, no one can talk? Oh, shut up. Yeah, and you have another conservative who has never been right about anything in his life, Noting how the right is um, basically trying to shut down this conversation by saying, oh, well, isn't this inappropriate to talk about this personal issue? Dude, he talked about his divorce. He's trying to monetize his divorce for views and clicks and rally the troops to get support on his side. I mean, there's nothing too low for Crowder. He's done it all. Targeted harassment hate speech he reenacted george floyd's death to prove that it wasn't murder i mean this man is a fucking monster not just because of this issue as well but it's nice to see that conservatives are waking up and realizing oh okay maybe he is a bad person i mean i'd love for the viewers of these conservatives to realize that they're all bad people but i mean if we can get one of them to be canceled by conservatives That'd be great. And Steven Crowder is kind of in a bad position here because he's burned a lot of bridges with right-wing propagandists who have very large platforms who would otherwise likely rush to his defense had he not instigated beef with them for views and clicks. But because he's desperate, well, he decided to start shit with them and uh, monetize it. Maybe have more leverage going into his negotiations with Rumble. I don't know. Like, I don't know what makes him tick specifically, but what's clear is that he's a bad person. And conservatives really should, um, they should hold themselves to a higher standard, right? I know that they're not morally consistent. I know that they're oftentimes super hypocritical. But if you claim to care about family values, then it is deeply inconsistent to still watch and support someone who threatens to fuck up his pregnant wife. Like, I get that, like, barking orders at your wife is kind of part of the trad con ethos, but, like, Threatening physical violence. Are you okay with this? Because if you continue to watch Steven Crowder, you kind of are, right? But I mean, look, I don't think that Steven Crowder's fans are going to listen to me, but hopefully they listen to people like Candace Owens who are saying what's pretty obvious. The man is a piece of shit. The man is a monster and good people should not support people who do that to their loved ones. Lately, the Supreme Court has been subject to numerous corruption scandals involving multiple Supreme Court justices, and to make matters worse, they refuse to adopt a binding code of conduct or recuse themselves from cases where there is a clear conflict of interest. And furthermore, Chief Justice John Roberts won't even testify before the Senate Judiciary Committee about ethical concerns that U.S. Senators have. Yet. Justice Samuel Alito says that all of this talk about Supreme Court corruption and them being illegitimate is uh, mean and we're hurting his feelings by discussing their corruption and we should totally stop it. I'm, of course, paraphrasing what he said, but that was basically the sentiment that he echoed in an interview to The Wall Street Journal. As Jezebel reports, Alito told The Wall Street Journal in an interview published Friday that attacks on the legitimacy of the high court are new during his lifetime. Quote, we are being hammered daily and I think quite unfairly in a lot of instances and nobody, practically nobody is defending us, he said. The idea has always been that judges are not supposed to respond to criticisms, but if the courts are being unfair Fairly attacked, the organized bar will come to their defense. But if anything, the justice continued, they've participated to some degree in these attacks. Interesting. Have you ever considered, Alito, that if the bar is supposed to come to judges' defense, if they're attacked unfairly, maybe you're not being attacked unfairly? Perhaps it's the case that these criticisms are actually legitimate? And the court being in a legitimacy crisis currently is really bad for the U.S. judiciary. Have you ever considered that? No, of course not. See, he's actually telling us that everyone else is wrong and they're right. These nine unelected justices, they're correct. Now, we'll talk about that in a moment here, but I got to address that in the same interview, he claimed to have a pretty good idea who the Dobbs leaker was. And he says that the draft decision was likely leaked to intimidate the justices and instigate an assassination of one of the justices in order to stop Roe v. Wade from being overturned. But I mean, after finding out that Alito himself leaked the Hobby Lobby decision, I don't think it's unreasonable to assume that the Dobbs leak could have been done by him. I mean, there were reports that the leaked draft actually sealed Roe's fate because if conservative justices backed down after they were expected to vote to overturn Roe v. Wade, well, the forced birther movement would eat them alive. So it's plausible to assume that the leaker was trying to solidify the decision by basically getting the majority of justices to harden their stance, which means... There was a conservative priority here, a conservative justification for the leak, and since Alito, again, leaked cases before, you put two and two together, it's not outrageous to assume it's him. But I mean, either way, it's evident that Alito has a victim complex, and like all conservatives, um, he's trying to make it seem as if powerful people, people with power and authority, they're the real victims, like Supreme Court justices, and we're all just being really mean. It's not that they're victimizing us by taking away our rights and destroying worker rights and the planet. No, we're being too mean to them. That's his actual argument here. What a baby. But I mean, for all this talk of quote unquote unfair attacks being lobbed at the Supreme Court. Let's just remember why people are concerned about ethical issues with regard to the Supreme Court. Remember, Thomas's wife, Ginny Thomas, is an insurrectionist who literally tried to overthrow the U.S. government. That is no small thing. And Thomas didn't recuse himself from that case. Now, not to mention his sugar daddy, Harlan Crow, who was an admirer of Nazis, showered him with gifts for decades, and that almost certainly had an impact on his decisions directly. For example, The Lever reports that Thomas voted to end federal protections for tenants put in place during the pandemic after Harlan Crow's company complained that that was hurting his company's profits. And additionally, after Thomas voted to allow unlimited sums of dark money in U.S. elections in the 2010 Citizens United decision, well, contributions from his sugar daddy, Harlan and Crow subsequently rose by 862 pounds. And as Americans for Tax Fairness explained in a Twitter thread, the Crow family has spent over $25.8 million trying to influence elections over the past 35 years, but nearly 80% of that spending has come in just the 13 years since Citizens United. That figure doesn't include donations to conservative organizations that don't have to be reported. So Thomas has made votes that conspicuously benefit his sugar daddy, never recused himself from those cases, never disclosed the lavish vacations that Harlan Crow took him on but according to Alito it is unfair to question the court's legitimacy I mean it's just A hilarious thing to say at this point. And while Thomas may be the most corrupt, he's not the only unethical justice. Neil Gorsuch, for example, failed to disclose that the buyer of a property that he co-owned was a law firm that frequently argues cases before the Supreme Court. And this matters because prior to his confirmation, the property sat there for two years without a buyer. But all of a sudden, once he's confirmed to the Supreme Court, nine days after specifically, he has this law firm who argues before the Supreme Court buy up this property? I mean, maybe it's a coincidence, but if you believe that, I have a bridge to sell you. They were probably trying to butter him up. But see, justices are supposed to avoid the appearance of impropriety. And that right there, him not disclosing that, is the appearance of impropriety. But the problem is that there's nothing that is legally binding them to avoid the appearance. And the way that they're avoiding the appearance is to just, like, not be transparent, not not disclose these things. But furthermore, Chief Justice John Roberts has refused to hold justices to the same standard as even district and appeals court judges are held to by refusing to adopt a binding code of conduct. And on top of that, he's refusing to testify before the Senate Judiciary Committee, as I stated earlier. Oh, and if that wasn't bad enough, his wife, Jane Roberts, raked in $10.3 million in commission as a law recruiter between 2007 and 2017. And she got this job two years after her husband became the chief justice and probably because her husband was the chief justice. And while there's no evidence that she placed lawyers with firms to deliberately influence her husband, it's likely the case that at least some of her clients landed at firms that had business before the Supreme Court. And the question is, would Roberts be more sympathetic towards their arguments if he knows that they're former clients of his wife, where she was paid extremely handsomely to get them their job? I mean, given how unethical the court has been, that is a real concern. Furthermore, Roberts mischaracterized his wife's income. As Truthout explains, in financial disclosures, John Roberts characterized his wife's compensation as salary rather than commission, which Kendall Price, a colleague of Jane Roberts, described in the affidavit as misleading. Pace University law professor Bennett Gershman went further and said that the alleged mischaracterization of the income is against disclosure laws. So, if the Chief Justice to the US Supreme Court is potentially violating disclosure laws, needless to say, it's not unfair to call them out for being illegitimate, to call them out for these ethical issues that they continue to face. So, none of them seem to feel the need to disclose gifts or purchases or potential conflicts of interest, and there's just an overall fundamental lack of transparency here. But putting aside the ethical concerns with regard to their own personal financial corruption, the court is also unethical in the sense that they are one of the most hyperpartisan, pro-corporate theocratic courts in American history. The Roberts Court is responsible for Citizens United, McCutcheon overturning Roe, gutting the EPA, opening the door to prayer in schools, destroying worker rights. I mean, we're not even scratching the surface here. And also, they might possibly limit the authority of regulatory agencies that have the ability to protect us from environmental destruction. As Zach Schoenfeld of The Hill explains, the Supreme Court on Monday announced it will hear a case that could significantly scale back federal agencies' authority with major implications for the future of environmental and other regulations. Named for the court's decision in Chevron USA v. Natural Resources Defense Council, the Chevron deference has become one of the most frequently cited precedents in administrative law since the decision was first handed down in 1984. It involves a two-step test. First, Judges decide if Congress has, in the statute, directly spoken to the precise question at issue. If it is ambiguous, courts defer to agencies as long as their actions are based on a permissible construction." And the justices in this case are being asked to explicitly overturn the Chevron case. Which is bad, needless to say. And some justices have already kind of expressed concern about the sweeping nature of the Chevron case. In other words, they've expressed interest in doing Just that, overturning it. So I expect them to do that and screw us over once again. But I mean, to be fair, the Roberts court has given us some good decisions. It's not all bad, right? Domo was struck down. uh, Gay marriage bans were also struck down. But ironically, those same bans could be reinstated by the same court that struck them down in the first place, proving that all justices are basically partisan hacks and the ideological makeup of the court matters more than anything else right? But getting back to Alito, if he's concerned about the legitimacy of the court and thinks that everyone is being too unfair by attacking them, well, I mean, there's something that he can do that will easily remedy the situation. First and foremost, the court can adopt a binding code of conduct, but they won't do that. So they simply are required to avoid the appearance of impropriety. But again, that is when I say requirement, that's a bit of a misnomer because it's a recommendation. They don't actually have to comply with the code of conduct that lower court judges are forced to comply with. So if they want to be taken seriously and regain the legitimacy that they lost, they can adopt a binding code of conduct. And also justices like him and Clarence Thomas can resign. That would help a lot as well, but given how uh, they won't even recuse themselves from cases when there is a clear conflict of interest, I'm not going to hold my breath on that one. But he can't have it both ways, right? At the same time, he wants us to stop questioning the legitimacy of the court while the justices are brazenly corrupt and refuse to disclose things that we should know about. But it doesn't work that way. So, I mean, my message to Alito is either do better or shut the fuck up because you can't tell us to stop talking about your corruption if you're not gonna stop being corrupt. So if you're someone who lives in the state of Utah and you recently tried to access an adult website for a little bit of personal time, you might have found that you no longer have access to some of your favorite websites. And there's a good reason for that. It's because some adult entertainment websites are actually blocking access to people in Utah in protest of a law that just went into effect on May 2nd, which requires ID to verify age. And uh, predictably, searches for a VPN have skyrocketed in the state as a direct result of people with Utah IP addresses being banned from access these websites, but as fun as it may be to laugh at the thought of a bunch of sexually repressed Mormons being denied access to their favorite adult websites, I respect this move by websites because what they did here was actually very meaningful. Pornhub, for example, in restricting access to people who live in Utah, they are losing a lot of revenue, perhaps thousands if not hundreds of thousands of dollars, but in doing so, they're making a really powerful statement about the importance of digital rights that probably none of us would have actually heard about had they not done this. But without further ado, here's the law that they are protesting. It's called Online Pornography Viewing Age Requirements, which was signed into law by the governor on March 14th, and as I said, it just went into effect, and it creates legal penalties for distributors of adult content that allow minors to view their content, and furthermore, it requires ID to verify someone's age. Now, the way that it worked before was that if you tried to go to a pornographic website like Pornhub, for example, there'd be a little pop-up that would say this is content intended for people 18 years of age or older and you would be required to put in your birthday. But I mean, there was never anything really stopping a minor from just lying about their age and then getting access to the website. This is what I did when I was a teenager. This is what I'm sure many of you have done. So in theory, if you force somebody to input information from their ID or driver's license, that's going to guarantee that minors can no longer lie about their ages. And at face value, it's easy to be sympathetic towards that argument that this is going to stop minors from accessing pornographic content. Now, the problem is that, and this may seem a little bit counterintuitive, this could end up harming minors more and leading to them gaining access to even worse content, and furthermore, it's a problem because it establishes a dangerous new precedent of government censorship on websites that didn't previously exist, and once you open Pandora's box to that, you can't really go back. It's hard to put the cat back in the bag, if you know what I mean. As Vice explains, experts say that age verification doesn't work to protect children online and only works to drive material that is harmful to minors to less safe spaces on the internet, while exposing adults to more risk of identity theft, private data hacks, and extortion. Immediately after SB287 passed the House and Senate in Utah, residents there started discussing how best to use virtual private networks to keep accessing porn. So, other In other words, this isn't going to have the intended effect that lawmakers in Utah hope that it does. And now when you try to access Pornhub, if you have a Utah IP address, you'll be met with a message from adult performer Sherry DeVille, who explains precisely why laws like this are absolutely harmful and must be opposed.
6: As you may know, your elected officials have required us to verify your age before granting you access to our website. While safety and compliance are at the forefront of our mission, giving your ID card every time you want to visit an adult platform is not the most effective solution for protecting our users. And in fact, will put children and your privacy at risk. In addition, mandating age verification without proper enforcement gives platforms the opportunity to choose whether or not to comply. As we've seen in other states, this just drives traffic to sites with far fewer safety measures in place. Very few sites are able to compare to the robust trust and safety measures we currently have in place. In order to protect children and user privacy, any legislation must be enforced against all platforms offering adult content. The safety of our users is one of our biggest concerns. However, the best and most effective solution for protecting children And adults alike is to identify users by their device and allow access to age-restricted materials and websites based on that identification. Until a real solution is offered, we've made the difficult decision to completely disable access to our website in your region. Please contact your representatives and demand device-based verification solutions that make the internet safer while also respecting your privacy
0: very well said now for a moment here just consider where this could take us to if we allow this to be precedent i mean it could start with pornographic material but it could lead to censorship with regard to reproductive health it could be expanded to lgbtq content i mean imagine for a second you're a closeted gay or trans teenager and you have this supportive community online that you can console with about issues that are unique to your community but all of a sudden you can't access this community because a bunch of bigoted lawmakers in your estate deem all queer content targeted towards minors as inappropriate or pornographic even. I mean, they're already claiming that Drag Queen Story Hour is tantamount to the sexualization of children. So, I mean, what's to stop them from deeming queer-affirming sites as porn? What's to stop them from saying the Trevor Project, which is a resource dedicated to stopping suicides of queer youth, as, oh, they're just grooming children into the gay lifestyle. Furthermore, what happens if you now need an ID to access a particular political or government website, but you don't have an ID? I mean, the implications of this are deeply unsettling And all of this is possible only if we allow states like Utah to get away with these censorious new restrictions on websites. And they're already trying to expand ID verification to non-pornographic websites, in case you weren't already aware. As CNN explains, porn sites aren't the only ones to face calls for age verification. State and federal lawmakers have increasingly pushed to mandate a minimum age for social media use, too. Last week, U.S. senators proposed a nationwide ban on social media use for children under 13. Age requirements for social media websites have also been approved in Arkansas. So, we are entering dangerous territory here. Now, do I think that social media is harmful to young people? Absolutely. I think it's harmful to all of us, to be frank. But the solution isn't for a censorious nanny state to step in and LARP as parents. These solutions could lead to a future of internet censorship that would harm everyone. It's not just lefties and liberals, it's Republicans as well who could be harmed by this. Now, Utah, believe it or not, isn't the first state to opt for ID verification. A similar law actually went into effect in Louisiana not that long ago. CNN continues, In Louisiana, one of the country's first age requirements for adult websites went into effect in January. Pornhub, which says it receives 130 million visitors a day, is still available in Louisiana despite the age verification law. Users accessing Pornhub within Louisiana are presented with with a different web page that directs them to verify their age with the state's digital ID system known as LA Wallet. A spokesperson for the site told CNN that since the Louisiana law went into effect, traffic from the state has fallen by 80%. The spokesperson added that unlike Louisiana, Utah lacks a similar digital ID system. Now, I'm not sure what the minor to adult ratio is of people trying to access pornographic websites in Louisiana. Honestly, don't know if you could even quantify that data. But if traffic fell by 80%, That almost looks like an effective porn ban. So we could be witnessing the emergence of the next moral panic where kids once again are being used by conservatives to hide their theocratic agenda that ultimately ends in them restricting freedom for adults. Banning porn is something that they can't do because that would violate the First Amendment. But if they impose new restrictions, specifically on the internet, well, you can basically produce the same outcome virtually. But lawmakers... They do this all the time. They often try to impose new restrictions on the rights for adults under the pretense of protecting kids. And we all need to be aware that this is what they do. And this will always be their go to tactic because these arguments are persuasive. They work. Well intentioned people see that and they think, well, I want to protect kids. And they fall for it. Lizzo, for example, has been promoting the Kids Online Safety Act as a way to make social media a safer place for minors by restricting access to the types of content that they see. And Lizzo is a good person. I don't know her personally, but just like knowing what she stands for and what she says, she seems like a really good, well-intentioned person. So it makes sense that she would support a bill that would, for instance, restrict social media uh, websites from sharing content that could promote eating disorders, for example, with young girls. Her intentions here are, are pure, that's undeniable, but legislation that she's promoting would end up hurting more than helping. And a digital rights organization, Fight for the Future, has launched a petition to try to get her attention to explain to her that this bill is a Trojan horse, nothing more, it's gonna do more harm than good. They explain COSA would allow state attorneys general think Ken Paxton from Texas, who is actively investigating the families of trans children to dictate what content platforms are allowed to recommend to underage users. While the bill's supporters fantasize that this will incentivize platforms to moderate more responsibly, for example, by removing content promoting eating disorders, the reality is that they will simply moderate in a more risk-averse way, for example, by suppressing all content where eating disorders are discussed at all. Even if it's important self-help content or content directing young people to resources for support. They add, the bill has been roundly condemned by nearly every major LGBTQ and human rights organization in the United States, including the ACLU, GLAD, and the National Center for Transgender Equality because it would actually make kids less safe, not more safe, and could lead to widespread censorship of LGBTQ content, body positive content, content related to reproductive health care, and other important topics for young people. And again, I want to emphasize that I know that Lizzo would intentionally support legislation if she knew that it harmed queer youth but these lawmakers they use orwellian language in these bills and they do that to prey on our natural instincts to protect vulnerable people and it's not just republicans to be clear there are democrats who support cosa as well because they think that social media giants aren't doing enough to police content on their platforms and we have to be aware of this we as informed individuals need to make others aware of this as well. Even politically savvy people get duped sometimes. For example, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, they voted for FOSTA and SESTA in an effort to combat human trafficking. But the passage of that legislation has been correlated with an increase in violence against sex workers. And this is something that sex workers said would happen at the time when the bill was being discussed. So the takeaway is that we need to listen to vulnerable and marginalized communities. And we also need to take our own digital rights seriously because it is constantly under attack. So we have to vociferously push back against laws like this, the one in Utah, the one in Louisiana, and other ones being proposed. Because government censorship is one of those instances where it's hard to undo once it's done, right? You'll see a lot of momentum only in one direction because if the government thinks that they can get away with these censorious laws by naming them misleading things, they're going to keep doing it. And it's like death by a thousand cuts. Little by little, state after state is going to transform the internet into an entirely different place. So I really respect Pornhub here. Kudos to them for standing up. We all need to do better about speaking out to support our digital digital rights. But um, I guess I'll leave you with uh, this. Support Pornhub for taking a stand and I guess go jerk off to their porn. <laughs> <laughs> Republicans have long maintained that their decades-long crusade against LGBTQ plus people isn't actually driven by hate, contrary to popular belief. Rather, they're fueled by their compassion for homosexuals and their desire to see them stop sinning. Also, they want to protect children and protect women's sports and women and traditional marriage. They just want to protect a lot of people, not gay people, but a lot of people, right? They never just really come out and say what they're really thinking that they hate us. But one lawmaker in Florida did just that because as LGBTQ Nation explains, State Representative Jeff Halcombe was speaking on Monday on the floor of the Florida House of Representatives about a bill to urge Congress to get rid of the woke social engineering and experimentation practices in the U.S. military. Yeah, see, when I think about the military, my number one complaint is usually that they should stop droning brown people in other countries that didn't attack us. But for this individual, uh, this egghead right here, I mean, Jesus Christ, uh, he (laughs) he thinks that, you know, the wokeification of the military is uh, is bad. And he's going to try to make the case for that in this video that we're about to watch. But as you watch it, pay very close attention to the blonde lady in the background and listen very carefully because you are going to hear audible gasps as he admits, what he does here as he says the quiet part loud labeled as racist and discrimination without without a response isis the taliban and al-qaeda those are the folks who discriminate we bombed a building in 2017 like we never usually do we bombed it because they threw homosexuals off that building our terrorist enemies hate homosexuals more than we do they're the ones who discriminate our job in the military our navy creed I'm committed to excellence and fair treatment of all. That's what we learn in boot camp. That's what we drill into ourselves each and every day while we're in boot camp. Please vote up on this bill.
3: Thank you. Time having expired. Representative Gregory, you're recognized to close on your
1: memorial.
0: Yeah. So needless to say, he made a little bit of an oopsie. (laughs) You're not supposed to just outright admit that you hate gay people you're supposed to hide the ball and cloak your true feelings by concern trolling about tangential issues that aren't actually related to gay rights or trans rights so um it's just it's hilarious to see him say this because as he said it you can kind of tell that he's like oh i'm not supposed to give away the game here but he just kept going because once you say it, you know, you can't really put the cat back in the bag. But I mean, nobody who's watching this is surprised that Republicans hate gay people. But like the disingenuity has been like the hallmark of their hate crusade against gay people. So for him to just say, yeah, we hate gay people, but you know, terrorist groups, they hate gay people more because, you know, they threw them off buildings. So at least we're not killing gay people. Aren't we merciful? Yeah very merciful thank you thank you so much now for additional context lgbtq nation explains Halcomb was speaking about florida sm1382 which would have the state of florida send copies of a text to president joe biden and other federal officials demanding that the military stop engaging in quote woke social engineering and experimentation practices this is so fucking stupid (laughs) the bill cites the military's opposition to racism in the workplace and the facts that openly gay and bisexual men and women have been allowed to serve in the military and, quote, the ban on transgender individuals serving in the military was lifted as examples of woke military policies. I'm sorry, but aren't you the folks who argue that combat readiness was really important and distractions should be something that are minimized? I mean, isn't racism a bit of a distraction? Isn't that going to kind of destroy relationships in the military when we need them to be cohesive I mean uh, this is what you all argue right but no it's bad now to say hey gays can serve openly now we're not kicking them out for being gay we're no longer doing trans witch hunts and um because of that they're woke Now, more about Florida. His speech comes after years of attacks on LGBTQ plus people's rights from the Florida state legislature, including the state's infamous Don't Say Gay bill, its ban on transgender students participating in school sports and its most recent bill to allow doctors to refuse care for LGBTQ plus people. So states like Florida, they propose and pass so many anti-LGBTQ plus laws that it's hard to keep up with them. So only a fool would think that they don't hate LGBTQ plus people. But it's just so interesting to me that they're just saying the quiet part loud even if it was a freudian slip for them to say it to hear them say that they hate gay people that is um very entertaining and i like that they're doing that because i think that that helps us because they're just kind of exposing themselves we want them to not hide the ball i want them to be more explicit because that turns off the normies but even when they don't explicitly say What that dipshit said, it's clear that they hate us and it's getting increasingly hard for them to hide that fact. Not just in Florida, by the way, because last week, Alex Bollinger of LGBTQ Nation reported about Kansas. Quote, Kansas Republicans enacted one of the most regressive bathroom bills in the nation after the state legislature overrode Governor Laura Kelly's veto, leading Kansas House of Representative Speaker Dan Hawkins to proclaim himself, quote, just giddy, quote, getting that women's bill of rights was truly the the icing on the cake, Hawkins said, after the body voted 84 to 41, mostly along party lines, to override Kelly's veto. The state senate voted 28 to 12 to override her veto. So, the cruelty is the point for those unaware. And their disingenuity is just crystal clear because this same party who is stripping away women's rights women's reproductive health care they're passing bills under the pretense of protecting women it's just it's comical at this point point. and if you're a trans person or lgbtq plus person who's watching this i know that it's easy to feel bogged down by all of these stories because it just feels like everybody hates you and it's easy to feel that way when the bigots are much louder than ever before, you know? And there's a lot of bigots with power passing law after law restricting your rights. By the way, we're up to 471 anti-LGBTQ plus bills introduced in 2023 alone, with more to come for sure. But I mean, overall, understand that despite all of this noise, society is changing, even if it doesn't feel like it. Because remember, just because the biggest bigots also happen to be the loudest people, That doesn't actually mean that they represent the majority. Let me tell you what I mean. A New Morning Consult poll finds that after weeks and weeks of right-wing hysteria over Bud Light's partnership with a trans woman, a majority, I repeat, a majority of beer drinkers actually feel very or somewhat favorable about companies that hire trans spokespeople with 19% of Americans not really knowing or caring about the situation. And just 28% of people are mad about it. And a plurality of Americans, by the way, also support trans inclusion with regard to other industries. That includes 50% in beauty marketing, 51% in entertainment, that's a majority, 49% in pharmaceutical commercials, and 46% in auto. And all of these numbers are only going to improve for LGBTQ plus people since younger generations are substantially more supportive of inclusion than older generations and younger people are the future. My point is that as much as we all fixate on anti-LGBTQ plus hate, myself included, and as depressed as that may make us feel, I mean, it gets me bogged down as well. I cover this shit all the time on the show. One day, make no mistake about it, all of us are going to look back at this very moment, and we're gonna tell our grandchildren or younger people that we know how bad it was, and they're not gonna believe us. And the reason why they're not gonna believe us is because society by that point will change, and this level of hate will be unfathomable to them because there will be so much change ushered in by younger generations. And that's not just wishful thinking, because you all know I'm no fucking optimist, but that future is one that we can expect, because of demographic changes, and more importantly, data. So as bad as it seems now, and as loud and hateful as these bigots are, make no mistake about it, this is all temporary. That's not to say that racism is gonna end and homophobia and transphobia will go away. This is going to be a battle for the entirety of humanity's existence, but it is gonna get better. And that's one thing that we can all look forward to. Want more?
1: Visit humanistreport.com for links to our full catalog of videos on YouTube, Means TV, and Facebook. You can also find audio versions of the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, and other major podcast platforms. And before you go, consider supporting the show on Patreon or through YouTube memberships. you get early access to most videos, invites to monthly live chats with Mike, and you'll be thanked by name at the start of the next episode. There are other ways to support the show. You can like, subscribe, turn on notifications, and share our content on social media. Thank you for watching.